And welcome everybody to the Farm Lab Forum. Thanks for tuning in with us. I know we still have a few attendees signing in through the uh, Zoom webinar portal. If you need that, go look at our Facebook page right now. It should be up there. And uh, you know, we're really excited to get this Farm Lab Forum popped off with all of our special guests. We have one more joining later. Uh, the Farm Lab Forum has come together really uh, you know, it's been a journey for Greenlight trying to find the right people to work with. And we're super happy to have met the Farm Labs when we did and really excited to help promote their services and education that are happening all across Texas and the importance and compliance of testing your hemp and everything. So there'll be a lot more conversations and Q&A later in the event. But right now I want to give each one of our guests a chance to introduce themselves and talk about, you know, just a little bit uh, you know, why they're here and what they want to discuss before we go into our presentations. You can go firstly if you want. Yeah, sure. So uh, awesome. I'm Leah Laxtons. I'm the president of Higher Ed Hemp Tours. Uh, we're a hemp education company based in Austin, Texas. And I'm very excited to be here with the Farm Labs guys because I know that you guys have a lot of experience in this uh, coming out of some other states. And I think it's really exciting for the state of Texas to have that expertise here here in the state. So thanks everyone for joining us and I uh, can't wait to, to take your questions and hopefully have some answers. Absolutely. What about you, Greg? Hey guys, uh, my name is Greg Magdoff. I'm the CEO and founder of Farm Labs and uh, we have a new state-of-the-art laboratory in Dallas, Texas in Farmers Branch area. And um, we are just about open and excited to be able to serve uh, all the community in, in Texas and the farmers and manufacturers and extractors and everyone in between. Love to hear it. And you, Bo? Hi, everybody. My name is Bo Rico. I'm uh, a partner at Farm Labs. I am not operations, but uh, Greg does a great job at that. I also uh, do some consulting for farm services, uh, whether it's seed supply or how to get a product ready for market. Um, from A to Z, we can cover all of your needs on the other side of things. That's really great. That's really great. We'll have Eloise joining us later. I know she's coming in for a, for a part of a conversation and talk about everything she's been working on. But uh, why don't you get us started on the Hemp Tours presentation, Leon, talking about, you know, verified brands, the importance of lab testing, everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to... Uh to share a little bit about what we do and how that fits into kind of the greater picture here. So uh, get this little screen share going. So Higher Ed Hemp Tours, we're on a mission to really connect an educated consumer with a verified brand and experience. And we feel like that education and that connection is going to facilitate hemp adoption for and make the future the present because we keep talking about hemp being the future. We want to see it be the present and be that positive, sustainable product that disrupts multiple supply chains. So I am the president. I've got two co-founders who are amazing, uh, Captain Cannabis, Daniel Laxtons, and uh, our director of education, Cynthia Morales, who not only has a master's in education, but also a criminal justice background and pretty much makes everything we do look easy, even though it's not. And, and of course, Nicole and, and Lisa and Marcus, all the other people that support us along the way, we have a fantastic team and a diverse team, which I think is really important for us in our mission. 
So what we found when we uh, went out there, basically we, we were in a health and beauty space in 2015, started getting into CBD in 2017. And last year in June, we started Hemp Tours. It was supposed to be a one-off event and it turned into basically a complete pivot for our company. We saw there was like this disconnect in the supply chain between farmers, consumers, retailers, really all the ancillary brands along the way, not just in Texas, but across the board. We went out and uh, visited farms and trade shows across the country all of 2018. And we saw that the extraction methods and processes coming out of Kentucky were completely different than Oregon, Montana, Colorado, other places we visited. And it, it just seemed like this was never going to work if there wasn't someone able to really connect the dots for the consumer and for the brands and retailers. So what we find in Texas, and this is fairly common across the board, is two very distinct different types of consumers. The first are intrigued by legalization in, in Colorado. Like you go to Colorado, they're always like, oh, I see so many Texas driver's license. It's crazy, right? In the dispensaries. So there are people very intrigued by what this means, this recreational use in other states, but they're skeptical of CBD. They're not quite sure if that's going to give them quite the same thing that they get in those other experiences. And we also see the exact opposite group that are actually a little adverse to marijuana, quote unquote, but they're intrigued by CBD and what it can do without the psychoactive effects and what growing it could mean for multiple supply chains. So we attempt to bridge the gap and appeal to both of these audiences by creating really unique experiences and tours. Our most popular is actually our walking tour, um, but we also do party bus tours, self-guided tours, uh, pop-up events, and we offer online education to engage our cons uh, the community and our consumers. And throughout these tours, we collect surveys from our guests to find out what do they know about CBD and hemp, what do they not know, what products resonate with them, et cetera. And then we bring that information back to the verified retailers and brands that we work with so that they get a better picture of what products are resonating and what people really want to see, which we think is important for further consumer adoption so that great hemp products can continue to be made out there that are high quality for the consumer. So um, I'll give you a little... Uh, overview of what a, a tour might look like. This is uh, just a brief video of a, our party bus tours. And you can see the, the wide variety of age ranges that we have here on our tours and how they really are able to ask questions that maybe they, they wouldn't feel comfortable with normally. So we work with tour companies actually to facilitate these tours we don't handle the tour part ourselves we work with tour partners and then we simply promote the tours and organize the retailer experience the brand experience and then provide all the education on the tour there's the old smokable which of course we will talk about a little bit later with some of the rules coming out so um it's really a lot of fun but we're trying to create an experience where they get their questions answered and we find that they have a lot of questions, which we'll sort of touch on later. So on, uh, it's not just the consumer that we're trying to connect here. It's also the industry. We want to engage people from brand, from farm all the way to retail and create or assist in creating a supply chain that's really sustainable here.
We do that through our partner program, which includes our partner dashboard. Essentially, any brand or retailer can apply to be a partner with us. Depending on their location, they'll receive a different level of uh, service, depending on the tour partner that we might have in their location. And right now we are primarily focused in Texas, but we do plan on growing outside of that. So we offer employee trainings, advocacy and activism by being a part of several other industry groups. And one of the key components we feel like is really important is outreach outside of cannabis. We do a lot of webinars and events for non-cannabis industry. Next week, I'm, I'm doing a webinar for the construction women uh, in real estate uh, in Texas. And so we want to keep on reaching out to other industry groups who may have heard about hemp, but they don't really know what's going on so that we can facilitate this consumer adoption that we all desperately want. So what do consumers know and what do they not know about CBD? It's very interesting. These are some surveys that we collected on last year's tour. We had about 200 guests roll through, primarily in Austin, but also in Dallas and the Rio Grande Valley. 93% had tried CBD. And uh, as you can see, very few knew how to read a lab report, um, what isolates, broad spectrum, full spectrum meant. Um, or had even heard about the law. As a matter of fact, some of our early guests were, would get on the bus and then say, so like, can we post on social media? Because I know this isn't legal. And we're like, no, 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 no. This is actually legal in the state of Texas. They were, you know, a lot of misinformation and uh, just not overly informed about what was happening, which, you know, I think makes sense. Us all being in the industry, we hear those words all the time. We had seen House Bill 1325 rolling out from day one, and we have to continue to be aware and engaged in our local communities to understand where that knowledge gap really is. So we can see that there's definitely a lot of education that is needed for the consumer. We usually joke with them and say, wait, 93% of you have tried it and only 3% can read a lab report. Like, what are you putting in your body? You know, give them a little bit of a hard time uh, just so that they really understand the importance of all of it. But by the end of it, they know how to read a lab report. They know the differences in these products. So uh, it's very exciting to see them start to educate themselves and take responsibility for finding quality products on their own. So um, let's see, rolling on. So this was a very interesting Gallup poll that came out last year that sort of emphasizes some of the things that we've seen in our tours as well. So there are definitely a lot of adopters of CBD. The, the age ranges are very interesting to us. Our tours are the average age is in the early 30s but our youngest guest was 22 and our oldest guest was 74. So it appeals to a broad group of people across the board. And like we said, or I said, both in those two categories, some kind of not really interested in, in maybe high THC cannabis and others that are very excited and enthusiastic about it. So we hope to bring them to the middle to show why these products are important, how CBD can affect their life uh, from both sides. So the interesting fact on this was that nearly 30% of the population as of last year had not heard of CBD at all. I know it's kind of a joke that everybody's cousin, somebody has a hemp farm somewhere, right, these days. But we can't take our eye off the fact that there is a large portion of our population that still does not know about CBD. And um, it doesn't have maybe the accurate information. Uh, the other groups may not actually have the accurate information that they need to make an informed decision. 
a lot of times on our tour, we hear people say, I've tried it before, but it didn't work for me. But this product I tried on the tour did. So we always ask them, okay, well, what did you try before? What milligram strength was it? Was it full, broad, or isolate? Are the most common responses, I don't know. I bought it in a gas station. So uh, continuing again to educate on the milligrams alone is a very interesting part that, you know, we're not always thinking of taking a supplement that way, right? It's usually in a capsule. It's 30 milligrams or whatever already kind of calculated out. So this is a unique product where people have to really listen to their bodies, record their results and find the doses that, that's right for them and then do the math on the tinctures or whatever it might be to get there. So it's great to see people take this into their own uh, hands where they can make their, a really great decision on these products. So what happened in 2019? Well, this is from Critical Extracts, an Austin-based company uh, that assists farmers. They did a survey last year, farmers across the country. And we know that this is an issue in 2018, we saw a ton of farms come online. We have to remember in 2014, there were very few farms in very few states. So at the time in 2017, you know, a kilo of isolate was $15,000. By now, we know it's around $1,000, right? So the market did definitely have a downturn that we believe will correct itself. But it is something to be aware of that these farmers experienced. 84% saying they have not sold their crop from last year. And this is an issue because this product can stay good for two to three years possibly. So how long will it be in the supply chain and affecting perhaps other farmers? Not to discourage farming in any, any way, but because we believe farming is a key component of this consumer adoption. Just to emphasize that we need more consumers that know about hemp and we need a variety of unique experiences and products that will drive that consumer adoption. And for any farmer jumping in that thinks that they'll get rich overnight, it's not the case. It's something that you need a business plan and it needs to be well thought out to make sure that you are able to make money in this industry and continue to grow because that's what we want to see. We want to see people growing year after year, growing their brands, growing their farms and seeing this further consumer adoption. So what's the future of CBD? Well, from our viewpoint, we feel like FDA clarification is going to be critical. Last year, we saw a dip in CBD sales right at the time the letters came out from the FDA to multiple brands around October. So until the FDA clarifies their stance, some consumers will continue to be wary of CBD products because they're only learning about them through letters written from the FDA that are warning against certain products. Uh, we do see think that CBN will, as a cannabinoid, have a significant impact. And why? Well, it has a measurable effect. It makes you sleepy. You feel something from it that's measurable. So going forward, I believe that will be huge. Also, disrupting other supply chains outside of CBD. We look at construction, uh, cotton. You know, all of these things can be impacted by CBD going forward but there is a definite lack of infrastructure here. We think using the existing infrastructure is key versus trying to create a completely new infrastructure. There are companies that make fantastic wall products, concrete products, roof products that can incorporate hemp. That's the easier way to get it there than developing completely new processes and supply chains. And what about federal cannabis legalization? We get asked this quite frequently from tour guests. What do we think? 
I think it's one of those things that's really hard to say. There are a lot of things happening behind the scenes right now with uh, marijuana research um, sort of going in between the DEA, possibly coming under the FDA. There's a lot going on at the federal level. I think if we see that happen, we'll CBD will not be obsolete. We'll simply start to see more one-one ratios and uh, varieties of different ways that THC can be used in products, including the drinkable and edible products that we see are very popular, but at this point sort of interstate commerce is barred on those products. So some things that you can do if you're interested in seeing these supply chains chains change, I think ASTM is a great place to start. ASTM creates standards across the industry, very common in construction, but uh, known for their work across multiple industries. The D37 Committee on Cannabis is developing and has already developed standards to be used in various industries, including packaging, including construction. These standards are going to legitimize the industry and really set the bar for quality. You can actually join ASTM as a voting member for $75 as the annual membership. And I encourage anyone in the hemp industry to really get involved with this because this is where the rules are being made that will later be adopted by government agencies going forward. Another fantastic organization is the U.S. Hemp Building Association. What they're doing in construction is amazing. They hosted a webinar this week that had, I think, over 100 participants from around the country, all sharing ideas about what had happened with their hemp construction projects. Now, why is this important? Well, International Building Code does not allow hemp construction products right now. So if you're going to build a hempcrete home, you have to go to your local permit office and get a deviation for the use of these products. So U.S. Hemp Building Council is working with IBC and ASTM to get these standards created so that this can be just a standard part of international building code, which is going to be critical for further adoption in the construction industry of these products moving forward. What's the future of retail CBD? You know, I think as we see the FDA loosen restrictions, we are going to see large supplement companies like a Whole Foods, for instance, have these products mass available. From a consumer adoption standpoint, that's fantastic. But what does it mean for the small boutique retailers that we see today? Well, I think this goes with any retailer. I'm a huge follower of Doug Stevens, the retail profit. He recently posted this on Twitter about the inflection point uh, from the pandemic, what's happened to e-commerce. This has been building for a long time. It was just the tipping point, what happened in March. A huge push to e-commerce and creating an experience. If you are not creating a unique experience in your retail store, you're not going to make it through the next five years when all the supplement shops start to carry CBD and the whole foods of the world gobble it up. But you can create this unique experience and create advocates of your brand that will continue to come back. So it's not impossible, but it is something that requires work, imagination, consultants, and a lot more. So this, I think, is going to be here to stay. The e-commerce trend blew up in Texas, curbside delivery, and I think that it's going to continue into the future. Consumers are only going to want to go into retail stores uh, because they get something unique and different because they get their questions answered or in some other way they're impacted in a unique different way. 
So what we like to say is be a creator and not a competitor. That's the way to survive in the hemp industry. We need further consumer adoption. We need marketing restrictions to be loosened by Facebook and Instagram across the board. And that's a place where farmers can really come in to support that because when these um, agencies hear from a farmer, then they're more apt than perhaps a brand to listen uh, to, to the message, you know? So I, I don't think any of them are anti-farmer. So we need to encourage them that if farmers grow, if there is no way to sell on this retail side, because there's no marketing available, then that's what's creating this issue that we have inside the supply chain. So it's a key part of it. Um, we, I do seriously believe that hemp is not only the future, but it is the present. It is going to disrupt and is already disrupting multiple industries. And it's a very exciting time. But be cautious, my friends, and continue to be a creator and not a competitor. If you'd like to connect with us, this is where we're available, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and of course on our website where we host virtual tours and we have a free introduction to hemp and CBD um, course there available. So I think that's about it. I'm really excited about the panel later and to hear from everyone else here in the hemp industry and farm labs and LOEs definitely. So I'll hand it back over to you, Dalton. I appreciate that. That was really good, Lee. I always, I always enjoy your presentations, all the consumer data, all of the, you know, creating new consumers will create more of a market. I really think you always do a great job of explaining that because all these ancillary businesses can't be successful without the, you know, really the awareness and uh, consumer awareness to find out exactly what, you know, you'd like to do. We have a special guest, Eloise. What's up? Hey, Dalton. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry no. for just now joining. I'm a technological no, moron. No. <laughs> we, know, we know you're on the road. We know everything's going on. Uh, before we moved on, did anybody have any questions for Leah about her uh, presentation or just any quick notes or anything? Good to go on that. Let's see. Got the, uh, the thoughts here on the smokable band. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think, I think, you know, here's the thing. I, I think we can all understand from a law enforcement perspective, why this happened, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, why is law enforcement enforcing certain things on cannabis? The thing is, it's not law enforcement's job to create laws. Their job is to enforce laws. It's our job as a democracy as consumers and as citizens to work for the laws that we want to see and the reforms that we want to see. So, you know, smokables are a difficult issue for law enforcement. And um, although I think that it's difficult when you're saying that it's acceptable for to consume these products and not for Texas retailers to be able to sell these products, right? Out-of-state retailers can sell into Texas via e-commerce Consumers can consume, but farmers and retailers here cannot participate in what is arguably the number one product we see in most stores. So uh, I, I think that it's a, a difficult thing. And I'm so proud of our state that we sent in all these comments to DSHS because that is the democratic process here that we had to do. And now we'll wait on them to see uh, what, what this is going to be like. Um, it does seem like the flower will be allowed. It's just some of the other forms that could be considered a smokable that are going to be an issue. 
So I'm very hopeful that they will understand the economic impact and the reasons why people inhale CBD, because it is the fastest way to get CBD into your system. So we'll, we'll see, we'll wait and see. Yeah, we got to talk about the jobs too. get these things figured out for the Texas legislative session in uh, spring of 2021. We got to build our industry strong. Well, I appreciate it. I think we'll go on and move uh, on to Eloise. We really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy woman, you know, traveling across. We never know, you know, we never know exactly where you're going to be at. But uh, we're really thankful that that you decided to come on uh, the Farm Lab Forum with us. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. So, so there's been a lot, you know, just traveling the grassroots around, you, you hear certain people's names, they come up, you're like, hey, did you meet so-and-so from Houston, so-and-so in Corpus? And the first time I heard your name, I had about five people that said, Eloise, you got to meet Eloise, you got you to talk to her, you got to find her. I remember we, we ran in uh, to each other in Austin, uh, you know, the last time, I think there was a, when the CEUs and stuff were going on for the law, for the law degree, but can you give us an update on just things from your end and things you're working on? Uh, maybe the future of Theo and everything like that? Absolutely. Um, I'm really proud of of the Ag Department. I was just with um, Commissioner Miller yesterday in Austin. And um, we are, I'm proud of Texas. And so, um, yes, I am running around the state and, and it's been the time of my life. So I think that Texas is going to be set up to really be able to scale this product and do it correctly. I'm I'm just in awe of the people. The plant brought me here into the space, but the people have kept me here because the industry is just so wonderful. And how fascinating to be welcoming this historical moment and be a part of it. So I um every day is different every day is exciting the it's just kind of you know it's thrilling everybody is learning at the same time as well so an update would be we've got about over 200 licenses for growing licenses and i think that brings us a, a total of over a thousand or so licenses total for the state of texas and you know, we're working hard. There's a team of 10 people at the TDA that took on this project with no funding. And Commissioner Miller was absolutely excited to roll out the program and he didn't have to. And he said, I, he believes in farmers first and that's important. What's important for the farmers, what's important for hemp taxes and what's important for kind of rolling out the community and hearing what the needs are. And, and Lee, thank you for that. That's, it's, it's just, um, we need that narrative and we need that correct voice in Texas desperately. And um, I think we're all excited to have it. Theo is hopefully going to be set up uh, as a checkoff program, we hope, if the industry wants it to be. So what that means is if you know of a Got Milk campaign, remember the the Got Milks with the mustache? Uh, That was an industry checkoff program to help facilitate consumer awareness which I think is very much needed. So uh, I don't want to be in a room with my 64-year-old father and be explaining to him that 30% of an automobile is now made out of hemp and have him ask me if that means he can get high. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's the reality. You know, am I going to drive a BMW and get high? That was an example. Uh, so that's kind of what we're working on right now and what our eye is on. And we'd like to listen to everybody's 
comments and how we can adjust things because um, everybody wants to win. It is a team participation in this space. Well, I like I like how you mentioned that Commissioner Miller is really uh, farmer first here, yes. you know, because all of the ancillary businesses, I can speak uh, for myself here, you know, roaming around the industry, looking for different jobs to do, looking for different people to work with. The industry so new that some of these ancillary businesses don't have any work to do. So they're literally just out there promoting services without seed in the ground. That's why we're excited to have uh, Greg and Bo talk about what Farm Labs is offering later, you know, because without the right compliance and without the right testing, uh, we're gonna be kind of up a creek. Is that, is that how you see it? Absolutely, this is not a green rush and it's not a get rich quick industry. Um, <laughs> Everybody yeah. has got to remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, people that are, especially in Texas, new folks really need to pay attention to other states. Again, excited to have a multi-state operator on here with us with experience in other states. Yeah. Folks that do think it's just straight a green rush or that people are going to instantly get rich. You know, there's people that have been working on this for years and years. This is not, you know, pull a lever and money starts raining out. You know, in order to have a, a low THC, you know, cannabis compliant product on your shelf in Texas with hopefully the Theo checkoff, you know, the got milk Theo checkoff, that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort. So, you know, I really think people need to pay attention to these things in the supply chain and working with different ancillary businesses. It's really, it's really important to us at Greenlight specifically uh, to make sure that we're working with the right people. So uh, we appreciate that. One, one softball here, you know, what brought you to the industry? You know, like what, I know you said the plant, you like the people, uh, the people are still up for debate, in my opinion, uh, just depending on who you run into. But, you know, what other things are, are, are attracting you to this movement, the agricultural renaissance, like I like to hashtag it? It certainly is. Uh, um, the crop, uh, crop that enhances lives, agricultural renaissance is a great one. Um, I have a piece of property in West Texas that's been in my family for 100 years, and it's passed on only in the women. So each woman has received, you know, ownership or of this land. So I, I was kind of talking and as everybody has a unique story, by the way, and how they got here. But I, I was talking about what I might do with it. And I landed on a hemp conversation and I, I just kind of developed and enhanced my experience since then, I actually, my interest is in the industrial play. I think that it's going to be a great, great uh, future. And I, growing up in Houston, which is where I am based, can say I'm based, uh, it's such an oil and gas rich city and I'm the daughter of an investment banker. So I immediately saw the opportunity and how, and I'm not the only one to come up with this. This is a, now a, a very nice dialogue that I don't, I didn't see it last year. I think the dialogue for industrial play is now really starting to pick up and that excites me greatly. So um, I see it as an alternative investment to wow. oil and gas, especially right now in our climate. Right. They can protect it. That's why I love uh, how Leah has talk, talked about, you know, building the market. You know, these these nobody's going to start building hemp houses until we create a market for it. So it really excites, uh, you know, it should excite the entire community of, a, you know, woman in your stature that is promoting the industrial side, the fiber side, because it's, it's unique. It's unique to have a therapeutic part of the plant, an industrial part of the plant. And, uh, you know, people have been talking about it for a while, but that's uh, that's pretty interesting. You mentioned investment and, you know, Houston being rich in oil and gas and 
all you, if you have any money in the market right now, <laughs> you just got to hold your breath here. And, you know, what do you think about turning this old money in, into new hemp money? Are, you know, we need, we need different things to invest in, not just to be all hopeful. You know, in the 60s, it was the space race that we were super, super hopeful about. You know, people being hopeful that can create an industry. You know, for a while, two years ago, people said hemp will never happen. It's not a real industry. CBD goes up and down. But by the will of the people, it's happening here in Texas. So, you know, what do you think about how to old money? Yeah, how to bridge that old money gap into showing them, hey, this, this BMW built out of hemp isn't going to get you high. You know, is there any one-liners you would, because not everybody comes from an investment background such as yourself. Uh, I think it, it's, hmm, that's a very good question. I don't know if I'd say old money. I'd say you'd have to, you have to speak to different people. You, you know, speak to your audience. Who is, read the room. If you're speaking to an oil and gas investor, that are potential investor that has been in oil and gas, you need to use oil and gas language. It needs to be um, a presentation that they understand and you have to, you have to educate them on, on this crop as a commodity. And it's an upstream, downstream, upstream, midstream, downstream play. You can absolutely uh, have that same platform when you're speaking to somebody. I mean, what other, um crop out there can replace cotton and potentially replace all petroleum products and building materials etc i mean it's a good problem to have to have to be able to choose what we can potentially create and make out of this one plant it's a great great problem to have well it's putting society on notice that we can build a better future and that we have the access to do it we're not just out here screaming it's a dream no we have a we have Texas hemp statutes that we can work with and work on. So it's just pretty exciting. Uh, just a series of questions. You know, what advice would you give for farmers right now? You know, that you're seeing, you've talked to a lot. Obviously, we're going to talk about the importance of testing and staying compliant. But what are you seeing? You know, what resources could you send farmers way? I think that Commissioner Miller does a great job in his video. Um, and he's a unique, uh, he was unique to do that. I thought that was a very smart choice to to really say buyer beware that's mm -hmm. what i took away from it and i for farmers i would say uh, you know this is a crop that can be cultivated in so many different ways and it needs to be it's a sensitive grow it's it can be expensive it's not just throw some seeds in the ground you need to understand the genetics you're buying you need to understand the coas you need to understand the questions to ask those who you choose to engage with and do business with that's so important um, we want to not promote the snake oil salesmen, and we know that they're all out there. And I, I think farmers are very risk adverse, which is great, but make sure, uh, like Commissioner says, you understand who the end buyer is going to be and really build out that business plan. Don't, don't think that this is going to be a solution right now. We're just not there yet. We will be but we're not there yet. Well, it's cool too now because, you know, the hemp on the Texas Department of Agriculture website, you know, dash hemp for a while. I remember, I mean, I remember when, when uh, President Trump signed the, the hemp bill in 2018, we're like, wow, it's finally legal here. You know, then it took the state of Texas like a year to get it going. And so we're over here. Are we doing illegal stuff? I remember my dad had, had, had called me, Hey, is what you're doing still illegal? I'm like, I don't really know. Yeah. 
you know, because it's such a gray area. Now there are real resources to, to, to utilize. There's real licensed ancillary businesses, you know, like, like labs, you know, like processors. I just saw the first list of processors come out. So, you know, a lot of people didn't like that. You know, I come from the grassroots and I've witnessed folks angry about, oh, government license. Why do I need a government license? Well, I've had snake oil salesmen run up on me that didn't know anything about processing, that didn't know anything about testing, but told me, and, and I'm supposed to believe them, you know, based on their track record or, hey, I've done this for X amount of years. I've done my own testing. Well, all it takes is a few calls to the state they came from, you know, just to, just to go off track on something I've seen. Maybe, you know, people could utilize this because people bounce from state to state and they, they usually leave a mess behind them. So unless they have a successful multi-state operation, you know, it's really wise to investigate who you're doing business with, ask questions, ask for references, especially on the farming side, because you're selling hopes and dreams here. You know, you talked about this uh, woman owned property of a hundred years being in your farm. The last thing we would want is the, you know, the sacred Texas ranches to get taken over by fake buyers or by a processor that really couldn't, you know, follow up to what they say they're going to do. And uh, these things are, these things are a lot harder harder than they go. I just want to throw that out there because there's a lot of folks running into Texas, which we welcome the competition. You know, we welcome the comp the competitive environment. We welcome the tax revenue. Uh, you know, we're going to need it. But there's just a lot of things here. Other than advice for the farmers, any advice for just industry professionals, you know, not farming, just people interested in the industry, where to go, where to look. Because you're right, there's a lot of people running in here trying to get rich quick. And it's exhausting to try to explain to them that's not how this works. I think it's such a massive industry. You have to really pick, um, pick a, a focus, you know, pick a focus, look at, educate, 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 subscribe to Hemp Industry Daily, subscribe to, you know, all of those great publications and really educate yourself first. And um, the associations are, are helping and starting out. And I think they'll have their, they'll be a huge asset to the state. Oh, yeah. So, um, and great representation. And then, you know, you just ask so many questions. So I think we should probably come up with an FAQ. That might be a good idea um, that maybe the TDA could roll out or the council yeah. could roll out. Good, but good we're thing open we're talking to, to somebody. Good thing sorry? We're talking to somebody. I said, good thing we're talking to somebody that can make that happen. <laughs> I can make that happen. I, and I want to listen. That's what I'm here for, to be a facilitator and how, you know, we can all work together and roll out, you know, this industry correctly. So, and we appreciate um, industry professionals like Greg and Bo, who've been in the space in multiple states for years. They're prime examples and have been so helpful to advising, you know, all of our groups down here and all of our, um, you know, everything we're trying to accomplish. So thank you guys so much. No, oh, I love it. Before we move on to uh, Greg, Greg and Bo's presentation, do any of the panelists have any questions for Eloise or to, to touch on anything? Or be Greg, Leah, or Bo, anything to, to follow up with Eloise on? Good to go. I'm good. Okay. All right. Just, uh, just, trying, to, just trying to keep it keep it moving around. Uh, pass this talk and stick around. Well, we really appreciate that, Eloise. I'm uh, hopeful you can stick around for the panel discussion as well uh, after Greg and Bo go. But Greg, Greg and Bo, why don't you tell us? What's happening? You know, the first Dallas-based lab really to come up. Oh, yeah, let me um, 
I'd love to jump in. Um, you know, Leah and Eloise, thanks, you know, for the presentations and the and the, some of the good words. Um, and the one thing that I hear over and over is farmers first. And I heard that when I was in Waco, I, I first went and uh, saw Sid speaking and, you know, it really, you know, kind of left a spot in me. And, you know, I think farm labs, we really believe, you know, especially in Texas here with the new lab launch that for all of us to do well, um, we really need farmers to do well. And, you know, farm labs, we're here to help farmers in any way we can make sure they can succeed, have a, a successful crop. And um, that's really our motive right now in the beginning. And, you know, Texas is such a, um, you know, it's just getting off the ground and, you know, farm labs, we've been there. We started um, when California first took off, Hawaii, um, Oregon. So, you know, we, we've been around, we've seen a few things. And, you know, the one thing that I've come to realize is we really need to come together and support the farmers. And we got to just keep, you know, farmers first is really a, a good uh, a good motto right there. So I appreciate that. And, um, you know, something that we're doing at Farm Labs, our hemp testing program, I think it's a really great tool for the farmers. And it's a crop monitoring program. And basically we can help ensure that farmers don't go hot. They don't go over that 0.3% uh, total THC threshold and they're able to harvest their crop and they don't you know, have to destroy their crop due to uh, regulations. So um, that's been, um, I think one of the most important things that we can kind of help farmers with at this point. Besides, you know, we have a lot of experience, you know, from seed to sale and, um, you know, helping, you know, make right, the right decisions and um, any way we can help, you know, with um, our experience. We started in 2011. We were the third um, ISO 17025 accredited cannabis laboratory in the nation. And our first lab was in San Diego. And then we moved uh, another lab into uh, Maui in Hawaii. And then our next lab was in Coachella. Um, you guys might have heard of that from the music festival um, right, right next door. And then um, we have a lab in uh, Monrovia, which is near Los Angeles. And then Texas is our, our latest expansion. And it's um, actually the uh, probably the largest with the uh, most ex extensive and state-of-the-art equipment. So we're really excited to be able to take all the technologies we have and, and help the farmers and extractors, manufacturers, um, everyone in between. So. Um, I have a presentation that I put together regarding our hemp testing program, but I see we have 22 participants right now. Can I get a show of how many are farmers that um, it would, you know, would be worth um, discussing right now? I don't, I don't want to go off topic if uh, we don't have a lot of farmers. We do have, uh, we do have a healthy stream of Facebook viewers as well. Um, right. But I think, I think they're on. Okay. As well. So let me share screen here. You guys see that? All right. You guys see the screen? Yeah, there we go. All right. Uh, let's see. Full screen. How's that? That's perfect. All right. Yeah, we'll monitor for any questions um, if you want to go through the sure. stuff. So you guys, this is our hemp testing program. Uh, we put this together to ensure your crop does not go hot. And so this basically helps ensure your legal compliance. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're a chain of professional chemical and biological analytical laboratories, and we specialize in hemp farming and CBD product testing. So we're founded, as I mentioned earlier, in 2011. We've been in business for almost a decade now, and now we're uh, located across the nation. So um, the best way for me to kind of explain our program is um, kind of ask a few questions, and I don't know if I can get a show of hands or not. Have any of you guys ever seen a hemp or marijuana plant growing during your lifetime? Um, is that, can I get a show of hands at this point? Um, all right, so basically I assume a few of you have seen a marijuana or hemp plant growing in your lifetime. And, you know, we ask what's the best way to confirm when it's time to harvest your hemp or marijuana plant. And, you know, most of us, we usually look for the colors of hairs, milky trichomes, the smell, stickiness. But, um, you know, when it comes to a hemp plant, there's just no way to know when to harvest and stand to that 0.3% total THC. And the only way to do it is to team up with an analytic laboratory and use data um, to ensure that um, you can stand to that threshold. So we have a bunch of scientists that actually work out in the fields and they take a representative plant tissue sample of your crop and we can actually project when your crop is gonna approach that 0.3% THC threshold and the farm and operation can, pre can prepare accordingly. So next, you guys, I want to introduce to you guys our complete solution, which this ensures your crop stays under the 0.3% total THC threshold. And this is Farm Labs hemp testing program. So I'd like to share with you guys um, pretty much this is how successful our program was in California last year. And I'll quote uh, HCG Farms. They grew almost 20% of California's hemp crops in 2019. And through testing and their predictive harvesting recommendations, we're able to harvest over 95% of our hemp crops under 0.3% total THC. And we cannot have achieved this without partnering with Farm Labs on their hemp testing program. So um, again, we were very successful in California with our program. And this is something that we think will have a lot of value here in the state of Texas and make sure that the farmers are successful. And again, it you know, goes back to farmers first. So here um, we like to, we designed HTP specifically for hemp farmers. And this is again, to protect your massive investment. And this will help achieve, you know, again, constantly monitoring plants to ensure your high asset crop never exceeds that threshold. Confirming plant genetics early on that they match the COAs were provided by seed vendors. You can identify contamination, uh, contamination issues early on through our microbial, heavy metal, pesticide screenings, and then um, also we can maximize profits through our predictive harvesting and optimizing potency levels on the plant. And so a lot of people ask, you know, what's it cost? So we design um, the hemp testing program specifically to save you money and we customize it to your budget and specific testing needs. So some of the larger farms need more testing some, than some of the smaller farms. Um, so because of that, um, we understand the differences and um, we put together a questionnaire for new farms and they can complete this and return it to us and we'll get a detailed cost proposal. And this program will again ensure that you do not go hot. It's two pages 
um, and it's very simple. Um, next, I kind of want to get into kind of where the data goes and what we do with the data from our hemp testing program. And here's a visual example, and you'll see this is of one farmer that had many plots on their farm. And this is how we can take a look and monitor cannabinoid production in real time and see when they kind of approach that 0.3% THC threshold. And so as we dig a little bit deeper, we'll understand, um, oh, hold on one second here. Um, we can use the testing data from when the crops are first planted in the ground, and we can project when that crop's gonna uh, cross that THC threshold. And you can see here with the red line and kind of when it intersects and you can get the basic idea. You know, the data, it's um, very linear in the beginning and then it does get exponential towards the end, but we do have um, models that kind of, um, you know, compensate for that. Um, so next, if you guys are lucky enough to find a seed that can grow to full maturity and stay under that 0.3% total THC threshold, you're gonna to wanna to harvest at your crop CBD optimal potency, obviously to increase your crop's value. And harvest optimization is estimated to increase this cannabinoid content as much as 5%. And so I wanna share with you guys a quick look at how a 25 acre hemp crop with a 10% 10% CBD versus a hemp crop with 15% CBD can increase your ROI. And you guys can see here that it increases it almost to three quarters of a million dollars. And I'll leave that up for a minute for you guys to take a quick look. And then we can go back to it if you guys have any questions. Um, also, we have other services available besides our hemp testing programs, such as final harvest inspections with the TDA, informational testing for processors, product manufacturers, and um, also, you know, using scientific um, analytical sampling and testing, we can help both parties involved in a highly valued hemp biomass transaction and make sure that they're getting what each party wants from the deal. And then uh, let's see here. Also, here's a complete list of testing services that we offer. So we're doing pesticides, heavy metals, residual solvents, microbiological, which we're hope at Texas, we're gonna be doing genomics. We're gonna work with um, fungus, plant disease. We can test water, soil, plant tissue. Um, also, of course, potency of cannabinoids, terpenes, and uh, moisture and water activity. So um, also there's increased regulations that are coming, they're on their way. So please prepare organic and safe solutions now. And um, that's it, I'll, I'll really wrap it up for any questions and open discussion. I, I zipped through that pretty quickly um, and I can go back to any slides if uh, anyone needs so. Yeah, that was great, Greg. We're monitoring the Facebook to see what kind of questions uh, come up there. And uh, man, we really appreciate that presentation. Looks like we're setting farmers up for success here. So besides THC and CBD testing, what other important factors do you test for and why? Is this data just as important? Sure, yeah, I mean, heavy metals and pesticides are really important. Uh, heavy metals, for instance, um, they're found naturally in soil, cadmium, um, arsenic, lead. Um, they're also obviously lead and other metals are found in water. 
and the plant has a high uptake of uh, these metals. And so, um, you know, a lot of these products that are bound for food product and other products, um, you know, this, if there's heavy contamination, it can be an issue, um, especially for, you know, when you go to sell this biomass, um, a lot of people are, are looking for final COAs for purity and potency. Well, we appreciate that. You know, it makes sense. The data, the data seems to be important all the way around. So if I get my product tested at farm labs and then tested at another ISO uh, qualified testing facility, what would be the standard? Uh, what would be the standard in regards between the two tests? You know, what, what, what would be better at, at farm labs? Well, I mean, an ISO accredited lab, you're supposed to follow certain rules and regulations um, and standards. Uh, but for us, I mean, we follow a little more uh, strict procedures. We do follow the rules and regulations found in state of California. So we have a lot of standards that we run, um, matrix spikes, internal standards, calibrations that we run every 10 samples. So um, we really do take the time uh, to make sure that... Um, our runs are accurate, precise, and consistent. That um, that's one item, and then our turnaround time, you know, is huge. We've got cannabinoid turnaround time, 24 hours. We have, um, you know, the rest of the tests are with about 48 hours, maybe, you know, three days max. Um, that's a huge one. That's uh, that's pretty good, man. Why? You know, this one's coming from me. Why did you guys think Texas was the best time, you know, the next best state to come online? Was it just with the different, uh, you know, different laws or was it with the relationships? You know, what is Farm Labs like about Texas right now? I just, I think it has a ton of potential, just the, the size of, you know, ag and land and um, the demand and, and the people. Um, plus, it's a really exciting place to work. I love the, I love the brisket and the barbecue, obviously. <laughs> Uh, Texas is uh, easy to fall in love with, um, but yeah. Besides that, we just we think it's a great opportunity. You know, we're first to market. We're have the first license um, out of the state, and we're just we're excited to be able to serve the community and bring all the you know everything we've learned over the last ten years, all the um, you know technology and, and methods and developments and processes you know over to Texas and help everyone succeed. And that's, you know, that's the real win right there. Yeah, no, I really like it because in the grassroots, like, like I mean, coming up, trying to meet the right people before this was even legal, before there was policy set, you know, we, we knew in Texas, we needed the right infrastructure and the right people to work with. And I really like how Farm Labs has a pro Texas, you know, when you and I talked behind the scenes, when we toured the, the facility, you said, man, Texas people are proud. You know, we got to let Texas be Texas. Let them, you know, we, we understand uh, the pride behind this. So it's, it's really unique to work with a multi-state operator that respects that, you know, and is going to let the Texans grow at their own, you know, Texan pace. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I didn't see any other solid uh, questions um, coming up. So if we want to just get back to our discussion uh, and bring back Eloise and Leah to kind of have a joint discussion about some things. You know, I'm sure on when we do more of these, uh, more of these talks, that the farming questions will get uh, more intricate. When we talk to Jake, uh, we always say Jake, Jake from uh, <laughs> Jake from Farm Labs. We say, you know, the, the twist on State Farm. You know, it's funny. We're, I've had a couple of people say that to me. 
but we talked about it being a football season you know from week one to 17 the farmers are going through different things so you know we're excited to, to document this journey with farm labs through you know the process of what these farmers are going to need to know uh leon eloise based on greg's presentation do y'all have any questions for him or any uh any good thing to pop this panel off Um, I guess I, I would start, you know, you mentioned, Greg, that some of the FDA uh, regulations are coming down the pipe and those kinds of things. Uh, do you guys have any kind of, um, you know, gut feelings on what some of those things might be or, or time period on kind of what you're hearing through the, the old rumor mill? Well, that's more, it's more USDA, you know, for farms, but that comment was more just to, you know, that pure, uh, purity is also as important as potency. And um, that you know, harmful things like pesticides and those metals can come up in the final product. And so, um, I I haven't heard anything in particular regarding FDA, but I assume there there's a lot of chatter, a lot of talk, and um, that I think that there's going to be some standards coming very soon. So, besides just the potency of you know total THC and ensuring that the legality of it, um, the the purity is going to be equally important. Sorry, I, got, I live in a very urban place. I got an airplane flying over. Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> I've got the private jet, the private jet rolling in to pick up. No, uh, Southwest uh, Airlines. <laughs> do you guys have any comments or thoughts on the difficulty of testing water soluble or water compatible mm -hmm. products? Yeah, there's been issues other labs in the past, but with all of our experience and time, you know, we again test products for the BCC regulated uh, products in California and Hawaii, and um, we have the correct methods for it. So it has to do with emulsifiers, and um, you know, there there can be um, some issues getting you know all of the cannabinoids out of this, the product. So that's why you see a, a large variation of um, results from different labs. So the sample, you know, it's important to have really good equipment. You know, the best equipment is, you know, great, but the methods are, of how you extract the cannabinoids and the, the, you know, or the contaminants is equally as important. And, um, you know, each matrice from gummies to drinks to flour, they all have um, unique methods. And those have taken years of time. And that's kind of why, you know, us coming, you know, from our experience and from different states that, you know, we can fast track that and not have to go through all the pain that some of the newer labs might, might be experiencing. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. It's very difficult. They, you know, you talk to scientists and they'll tell you that hemp, um, cannabis in general is one of the most difficult matrices to test and can't, you know, um, in, in science and in chromatography in general. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Bring in, uh, bring in, uh, you know, we talked about seeds a little bit, Bo, and just the kind of things with different with the Texas climate and kind of work in different areas. Is there any recommendations, you know, based on your experience with seeds or anything like that that you just want to bring to the forefront? Uh, yeah, you know, one thing that um, a lot of people try to do, and we kind of spoke about this earlier, Eloise enlightened on it. Um, it's really important, you know, if you come out of cotton, that you kind of stay in your wheelhouse. Um, don't try to jump into CBD, maybe stick into a fiber kind of industry. Um, and that's where, 
you're going to benefit a lot more because the translation um, across the, the new industry is going to be a lot easier for you to uptake. You have basic principles in place. So a lot of the times the genetics, um, they're picked by the person with uh, the greatest strength for their, um, their skill set. Um, and when it comes to matching genetics um, to good growth climates, you know, some crops do better in a fall scenario in like a lower hemisphere. Um, and so it's really a matter of working with a, an agronomist to identify, um, you know, what, what your uh, growth patterns are, uh, your weather cycles. And then from there, you can really start to, you know, um, and using your existing skill set, you can identify which genetics you want to work with and how you want to uh, move forward, whether it's, you know, growing for molecular production or if it's growing for fiber or if it's growing for bioplastics. Um, you know, that's where your, your genetics are very um, tuned into exactly the industry you're trying to um, send your product to in the end. I see. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Thing. I had a question come in. I'm not necessarily educated enough from our boy Van at Duke Distro. Why were the Colorado genetics added to Texas and not Oregon? Why, uh, why Oregon was... Oregon can supply itself. Uh, is 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 that what they're asking? Or I think so. Why why did why did Texas get some Colorado genetics, but Colorado didn't get exported to Oregon? That would make sense. Oregon could probably self-sustain their genetics right now. Yes, very much so. Um, it's, you know, it's hard not to find a seed farm in Oregon at this point. <laughs> um, what, what, what's happened a lot in Oregon, too, um, given the weather conditions, we had early hail in Colorado last year that devastated a tremendous amount of crops. I remember that. And the, the airport has had a lot of inbound from Denver. As far as the brokerage market goes, um, it, it's actually quite surprising. They depleted um, the, uh, the, the amount of flour that they had in that state fairly quickly, um, given that they were, you know, ahead of the game, um, and started actually outsourcing from Oregon in order to fill the demand that they'd created within their own state. Um, we feel that we're going to see a lot of that, um, in the coming, uh, years where, you know, Texas can be a part of that, uh, vacuum to, uh, fill. As far as consumers coming aboard, we are finding every single day that consumers, you know, because of webinars like this, education is going up. Consumers are, are coming to the market. You know, once they understand that, that it isn't the devil, um, huh. they, seem, they seem fairly um, open to it. I think that given, you know, circumstances like COVID that have occurred, um, you know, the, look in, the, the people looking into naturopaths and nutraceuticals, um, is on the rise. And, and I think that that's going to be a big boom for the CBD industry as well. Um, you know, in the meantime, it's, it's really about good business practices, but, um, generally Colorado was, um, it had pretty much run out, um, last year. So just to get back to the, with the hail, with the hail situation. I remember that. Yes. I remember seeing all yeah. the news articles, everything, pick it up. You mentioned something with kind of a, a global conscious awakening that some of the food we eat, we need to take better care of our bodies, you know, and people really have a strong brand loyalty to the medicine they consume. So when CBD entrepreneurs and I, and I talk and I'm explaining these different things, the supply chain of where you're getting your medicine is so critically important. You know, when you're taking a specific cannabinoid for a specific ailment, you don't like it for the label, you like it for the contents, you know, Mr. Pib and Pepsi is a different deal. And when it's wrapped in the same label, 
you know, so that's kind of something I wanted to hit on because you're talking about the importance of consistency and these different genetics. And I, I think, and this is just a hunch, consumers are going to stick with the brands that make them feel better, not the ones that are new, flashed. You never know what's inside of it. It's not a science fair taste test. You know, we need consistency and good research and development teams. Yes. Um, a, a big reason that, um, and that's, that's kind of what spurs uh, my movement outside of um, the partnership with Farm Labs is creating cooperatives across the country where groups of farmers come together and, and having set um, SOPs in place to do their cultivation, um, you know, having the uh, resources like dryers, um, even drying facilities, um, extraction resources. So that the farmers are growing, you know, given that they're testing properly, um, they're growing a consistent crop, which allows for a consistent industry, which allows for consumers to consistently find a product. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dropping off of shelves is like the biggest curse to a brand um, as far as trying to come back to life. And so a lot of the value that we're trying to build outside of um, the lab itself is, um, you know, giving the farmers the guidance they need in order to be successful and bring consistent products and build long-term clients. And that's where the stability, the foundation of the industry is going to come from. Um, and it's well on its way. There are bad players, of course. Um, and in time, those, those guys, they wash out of the industry, right? It's right. just like anything else. Right. And so uh, what we're trying to bring is, is uh, these, these cooperatives um, where the farmers come together and they gather in their buying power and they gather in their selling power um, and they work more together versus against each other because that's where the industry is going to, how it's going to push forward. And that's where Theo is so key is that it, it gives a, a forum for these groups to join together. So I'm really stoked that uh, Eloise has, you know, worked so hard on bringing that together because um, it's going to be a really, really powerful thing for, um, for all the uh, farmers that are out there. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, Bo. We've so appreciated your input and support and, and Greg's as well. It's been invaluable. I mean, it's difficult. Like I, like I can speak from my own personal experience here. Uh, I like how Bo said it. People go up and down, they wash themselves out of the industry, especially for somebody that's trying to learn. It's exhausting to meet folks that are just trying to steer you in one way that aren't actually trying to enlighten you. You know, not everybody's going to fit into your specific business model. Not everybody's going to want to buy your CBD that hasn't been tested for heavy metals and pesticides. You know, it really hit me hard when uh, my grandmother got started getting the, the AARP, you know, advertising straight, straight to straight to her. And I looked at, it, I was like, these people are trying to sell her hemp. It did a quick research to realize these weren't the best products. These people really weren't. And it was a different product every day. You know, these distribution of resources, I'm not calling out any specific organizations that are promoting certain uh, brands, but when you're targeting the medical community and you aren't having it appropriately tested, or you're giving sick, sick people medicine that is contaminated with all kinds of junk, you know, it really, I actually got mad. I remember where I was, I got actually angry about it because I'm somebody that's in the industry and I couldn't even explain to her why there was no labs even tested. You know, we were just kind of hands, you know, oh, well, if there's THC, you know, is it even legal to test? There were so many red flag questions and uh, people get passionate about this. I mean, I think people are really tired of folks just telling them what to, consume without reading the label or without, you know, knowing really what's going on. So I, I really do commend, you know, not just the testing, but the state of Texas for trying to trying to get this right. You know, where this is, there's not many more chances 
that we can go a hundred years of putting a bunch of junk in our bodies without we knowing exactly what it is. You know, we're like doing big, this is a big experiment, you know? I think that goes back to the narrative. Um, I was at a bank meeting the other day and, and it's a local Texas bank. And they said, that's one of our major issues. And we all know banking is an issue. And um, they said, we just, it's high risk for us. And, and they mentioned that reason. They just don't know. They don't know what's in the product. They don't want to give a loan to the CBD store down the street. And um, the, the farmers, of course, are having their issues. It's, I think it might go back to creating that very healthy narrative. Right. And um, that might be a solution. Well, the, the farmers also banding together, like Bo said, you know, uh, yeah. bringing their buying power together. You'll have a lot of brokers in the middle. You know, not all brokers are bad, but the broker jokers have given some folks a bad name. I've been approached multiple times. You know, there are people that I want to help broker things because you, when you have the resources, you want to see the industry grow. But when there are, you know, not great characters or you don't know what people's intentions are, you know, it gets kind of tricky, you know, to try to try to build build this thing in the right way. Yeah, it's it's one funny thing that's come out of this is, um, you know, there's um, like even on Facebook pages, there's like the here locally in Oregon, there's the uh, there's like the the uh, brokers blacklist on Facebook. That's, and, that's and pretty people good are, like, adding people to it. Um, and this is something that, you know, is like a fleecing of the industry. And it's a really in the end, it's a positive thing because it's stopping people from continuing bringing the industry down. Um, but, it, and it's also identifying who the bad players are and making sure that other people don't, uh, fall, to, fall uh, prey to their, uh, their vices. They're not just on Facebook either. They're on LinkedIn, especially these yes. folks that have bots that consistently message you. And it's like, what are you trying to do? And then, you know, if you screen, if you screen grab it in LinkedIn and you search that hint blacklist group, you usually find some stuff and, you know, they, you know, we're not the legal side. People need to settle their differences in court. I know Oregon had a bunch of issues. You know, maybe this would be a good thing to talk about with people growing fiber next to cannabinoid and these different plots of land. You know, there's tricky things. There's sometimes, you know, there's three sides of the truth, you know, the, the you know, everybody's side. So, you know, is that something you could touch on, Bo, with with maybe your seed experience and farmers and, you know, really? Uh, the the biggest not- issue that we saw, I definitely will touch on that. The biggest issue we saw was that um, hemp farmers growing near, say, recreational cannabis sites or flower production sites, um, not really paying attention to walking the fields, identifying males, because even on a, on a 99% feminized, like one in 3,000 is a male. That male is enough to do like 12 acres, right? No problem, heavily seeded. Um, we had a lot of people around our particular valley here that were um, pollinated, cross-pollinated from hemp crops. Um, and these are people, you know, with um, existing cannabis brands in the recreational market. Uh, the, the losses were substantial, uh, well into the with tens of millions across the state. Um, and so that's something that's, you know, we have included in, into our uh, SOPs as a protective measure that you take. And we add it in as a part of our labor cost, mm. which is identifying uh, males within fields. You know, there's uh, there's great companies out there, a couple we work with that are actually doing aerial um, agronomics and they're they're actually identifying um, using heat signatures, uh, males within fields and they're dropping GPS coordinates on the plant 
<laughs> uh, the farmer just walks out and pulls it. He doesn't have to spend all day. Um, you know, you know, and this is where, you know, we're looking at the industry and regions of the country targeting certain um, needs, right? Um, you know, in, in our vision, Texas is going to be a powerhouse in the bioplastics production, in the structural steel replacement um, production. Um, you know, I think that there will be a lot of, you know, uh, flower production. I know that, you know, down in the South of Texas, there's a lot of greenhouse, um, uh, down there. And so those will probably be the, the bulk of the flower production to, to supply the Texas market. Um, but in the end, we look at Texas as, as ultimately like an industrial powerhouse. Um, it's, it's a sleeping giant right now. Um, and we can't wait to come participate and help farmers get moving. Um, and a lot of that is what we're trying to bring is the solutions and the answers for the clients in Texas to make sure they can move forward. Um, the lab is just is a, is a part of that entire industrial model moving forward. Um, but, but Texas itself is it's going to change the world um, in our vision. Golly. I'm not going to lie, I kind of got some goosebumps over here. I'm kind of pumped for it, you know. Yeah, me too. I mean, riding this thing out has been pretty exhausting. You know, I love CBD just as much as everybody else. I get my CBD hangovers. But when we're talking about, you know, building futuristic things out of plant-based plastics, the biofuel, the refineries, like these things really get me pumped because we have to have this agriculture revolution. This is our, this is our generation's fight on the farming side of things, you know, to really restore order to, uh, you know, the commercialized farming is necessary to eat, but there's a better way to live. So it's fun that it's cool that you touched on that, Bo, so passionately. Well, and, and it's I'd going like into to... aerospace, it's going into light poles. I mean, it's, you know, it's changing the way we're doing things and it's lighter, it's stronger, hempcrete, um, you know, building construction, it's, it's coming. We were joking around the the hashtag grow hemp on Mars when uh when Elon went on old Joe Rogan's podcast and you know lit up whatever he smoked that day or whatever he pretended to smoke. Uh, you know, we went out there and got the shirts that said grow hemp on Mars. It was like three months later, they actually had a contract. I'm sure y'all know the company or saw them. <laughs> Somebody actually sent some stuff up there, you know. And uh if you can dream it right now and you have the right resources, you really can. You can get things done. So that's some advice I'd say. You know, from my perspective, you can create your own lane and create some own some of your own fun things. Did you have anything, Lee? I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no. I think that that's awesome. I think it's so true because so much of this infrastructure is in Texas from mm. oil and gas, from construction, a material manufacturers. We have so much of this here. So I agree with you guys. I think this is going to be huge. We're going to end up being able to be sort of the tipping point to the to change these industries uh, because we do have such a strong industry here as well. Right. And so many consumers. Uh, there was something you brought up earlier, Bo, that I think Eloise might be able to help us out with or just have a discussion. I'm not necessarily trying to plug any specific business, but I have a friend that worked at uh, FEMA. And when the time's right, he might come on this program or another to talk about, you know, the insurance, what you can work with the government, how to protect yourself on the insurance, crop insurance side of things. Is there anybody coming out of Texas that you know, I've seen them at expos. I've seen them. I, I've, I've now, I have a bunch of business cards of people saying they do hemp crop insurance. But is there any uh, streamlined way to deal with this or anybody that, you know, you think is a good person to consult with, Bo, Bo or Eloise or Greg? 
Um, I, you know, we work within different states. We work with different individuals. Um, you know, given the the law structure of each state being a little bit different, um, we found that um, regionally we try to stick with one person or another based on where they're at. Um, they have closer boots on the ground to really understand. Uh, just you know, given that it is not such a uh, readily available concept yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we have gone individually rather than recommending like one guy to cover all 50 states. Right. Um, and I think that that for now is appropriate. Um, you know, the best thing about this, you know, and it's likened to, you know, the fifth 1950s when, you know, big chemical ag came on um, and, and we're going to feed the world. Um, we have a transition of this entire big ag that was built into an organic format now. Um, and people are readily embracing it. Um, and so what we're, you're, you're finding like, even with insurance, um, new concepts are coming about and, and different, different models for it, because, you know, it's like, you don't get the same, um, insurance for a motorcycle that you do for, you know, an F-250. Right. Um, and, and so there's a lot of things like that, that are just yet as of, as of yet undecided or unknown, and so it's really tough for insurance to to lock in, you know, like a template of plans. Mm. Um, and that's why it's, it's so important that you work with someone that's that's close to you or local to you um, to, to really understand it on a broader level and then get three quotes, um, you know, from other states as well. And that's kind of the best path forward. That's that's good. It was, um, you know, the hurricane that almost swung by here. That's what got my mind thinking, because you mentioned the hail in Colorado that really, you know, alter, uh, really, you know, altered the entire market for Colorado that year. Right. I kind of forgot about yes. that. Till you mentioned yes. it. But, man, there was fallout from that happening for a while or the hurricane that hit, I think, South Carolina. I think some of those. Right. Yes. Farmers- Two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Annihilated their entire crop system out there. It was it was crazy. Um, they literally fell off the map in the hemp world um, in like three days. Man, that's really, it's really interesting uh, because, you know, that, that I forgot, I don't even know if it hit Texas. I think it went, uh, I think it died down, but the people, especially on the coast, you know, I know a couple people that are growing hemp down there and they've really kind of got to be ready for that. Uh, and especially just getting your normal um, insurance anyway. And I do, I, I heard, uh, I don't know if it's in the statute, but you can get more insurance based on the years you grow. So if you're on the fence uh, about growing hemp this year and you're still kind of waiting, you know, if you can, you might as well go on and start now because it'll help you on the insurance side later. Uh, I just heard that through the grapevine. And can anybody verify that? The more years that you have uh, crops planted uh, in Texas, the, the better insurance you'll be able to get. I have, I have not crossed that yet. Okay. I've heard that rumor before, but I have not seen it in writing. Okay. Yeah. It's hard. Sometimes there's things we'll have to, we'll have to email Eloise officially and ask her later. Right. (laughs) Right. Feel free. (laughs) Coming on up. Please do. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. I would say just, just in the middle of this, you know, we talked to Jake, Jake and John over there at the Dallas farm labs and any farmers or any specific industry people that are interested in touring the facility or getting to know it better uh, schedule that with them. You know, they've been, you know, we'll have to monitor these, these Corona numbers right now to see how it's going to go. Maybe you need a hemp mask to come in there, but <laughs> you know, it's really exciting when, when we stepped out there on the first day, I was like, wow, these things are being built. So 
you know, if you're industry curious or you want to meet the right people, I would recommend getting that on your to-do list uh, when it's appropriate for you. Because I see it like a current. And we used to talk about these things before real in infrastructure existed, that if you didn't know where the hemp community was, it's a current. There's labs, there's growers, there's retailers. And once you're in the current, you can see it pretty clearly. And networking with laboratories seems to be one of the wisest things to do because they're connected to so many people. You know, it's like your CPA, your CPA knows how much money you have. Your lab knows if you're in compliance or not. So it's good to have relationships, especially if you're working with farmers or working on understanding more. I think it's a really critical piece of the puzzle here because without it, you're not going to have legal crop and, you know, um, you don't want to, you don't want to get pulled over with without the correct transportation uh, scripts in Texas with a bunch of hemp flour. You can just Google, uh, you know, biggest bust in Oklahoma history, pulled some fools over for some hemp flour. So you don't want to be in that spot, especially if you're in the game. Uh, that's just some advice I see because a lot of my friends, hey, man, I got four pounds of hemp flour. Where are you at? Has no tags, no COAs, nothing I'm like, bro. You got weed in your car right now. You can't prove it. <laughs> you can't prove it's not. And they're like, bro, but it came from here. I'm like, man, I don't care. Don't bring it to me right now. We got too many eyes on us right now. So uh, that's just the truth. There's a time and place for that. But I just wanted to share that because there's a lot of insight that this panel has that, you know, it's, it's not fun and games anymore. You know, we have to support good businesses. We have to support good industry practices in order to get this thing lifted. You know, we don't want there to be a bunch of fallout and have the legislators giving us issues. You know, we want to prove that this is a good economic generator. This is healing. This is futuristic. It's for Texas. You know, and when we have shady industry characters, it makes it harder for us. So I just wanted to put that out there. I don't know if anybody has anything else on that. Uh, well, I would like to mention about insurance. One thing we're trying to do, um, given that uh, my hemp farm also follows the hemp testing plan, um, we um we're trying to use that to lower our insurance rates um because we're guaranteeing that the product has set value um and will be legally allowed into the market um we feel that we because we're adhering to certain principles we should be paying a lower rate i'm still waiting on an answer back from our local insurance in, here in oregon um because of that but that's something that's definitely worth mentioning when when you discuss insurance and that's that's exciting. You know, when when we did a we did a West, we went to West Texas, the Kalachi capital of, the, you know, Texas. And we asked a lot of farmers down there. Those farmers are more commercialized, industrialized, have contracts with H-E-B, whatnot. And that was their first thing. They said, look, in a bad year, we're not going to make money without our crop insurance. So we can't just jump into this. You know, you're you're hedging that bet with the right insurance. So I think it's a really important conversation to have. We did have one question, um, pretty generic. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bo, you would be good to answer this. Is this something that has to be done outdoors or can it be indoors on a smaller scale and still be profitable? Uh, that can uh, it can, it can definitely be uh, profitable. I think that the window is short lived for small scale indoor production. There's a lot of greenhouses that are going to be coming online. Um, but at the same time, if you master your craft, there's a lot of people make, you know, that they got a greenhouse and they got lights and they're doing everything and they still have a black thumb. Right. And there's nothing going to change the fact that they just right. don't have love for their plants. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, it's, 
it's the best thing to do is start with indoor and understand, you know, your long-term goals with it. If you're going to make that choice, um, you know, terpene levels are typically higher because it's in a controlled environment. The complexions of the flowers are a little bit lighter, a little brighter than say an outdoor, um, which has, you know, a more desired uh, eye appeal, bag appeal, as we call it. Um, and so you can fetch a higher number for that. Um, generally i don't see foresee a long um a long future for an indoor smokable flower because it really operates in the red ultimately um you know the power consumption is is not justifiable for the the cost of the uh, the, the sale of the end product and when they're producing i mean you can see uh companies like canopy growth and aurora uh just fire sailing all of their indoor products um or their indoor um facilities and equipment because even they can see the writing on the wall that this is um you know uh, a short-lived um having indoor like that is very short-lived so um you know the profitability um given the greater market space you know until um and until i would say you know maybe two years from now you'll be able to maintain um a quality uh price line whoa we're gonna getting spammed hard um people are some haters man you know we won't we won't give yeah, them okay. time of day. <laughs> it's all right um, it's definitely profitable um i just don't know how long of a lifespan that model will last for given the production level is going to rise from greenhouse right so. i mean because anybody with the acre could get this going you know on the larger some i still see in some of these facebook groups hey i have a thousand acres where should i get my seed i'm like man I, I mean, I, I don't have a for sure uh, green thumb, but I know if you just start with a thousand acres and you don't know where to get seeds, like that just sounds like a disaster. Yeah, anxiety just yeah about that's major growing pains are going to be occurring. You know, um, they, they talk about um, the, uh, you know, the hemp rush and, and the hemp buzz, right? Right. Uh, there's 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 going to be a lot of hemp hangovers from that hemp buzz, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, and that's where, you know, um, a lot of, you know, mistakes have been made in the past. And that's where, you know, from the lab's perspective, given my, my end of the lab is really advising on what's going on with the farmers because I am one. Um, and that's, you know, we've been able to build our programs to help the farmers and suit the farmers um, by long talks between Greg and myself, working through how my day was and what I dealt with on that day um, has really dialed in a lot of our ability to identify what farmers need um so this is uh this is one question we got earlier from facebook i think i might have asked it wrong so when you're talking about getting your your hemp tested you know at farm labs and maybe another test what is the margin of error you know that the different what what is the you know what is the variance between the two tests what's an acceptable margin to get different results without there being any crucial red flags um, you have to look, each test is different and unique. And so cannabinoids is different from heavy metals is different from pesticides. The margin is, is very, very, very small. Um, you know, but I understand the, on, for cannabinoids, that margin of error does help, uh, people pass, um, their tests. So that is the new USDA regs. Your margin of error is included into the final, um, you know, total THC. So it's really what the lab wants to claim, right? I mean, our margin of error might be very minuscule for cannabinoids. It's, you know, um, 
very, very minuscule. But, um, you know, end of the day, people might want that larger margin of error so they can pass. Their right. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, I mean, I, I assume most labs are going to claim that higher margin of error, even though that they can get much lower. Now, when it comes to pesticides and solvents, um, you know, that's that's a different story. I, there'll be guidelines, you know, from USDA, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it's interesting because there's a certain threshold where you want to know what you're getting. And I mean, there's always, you know, there's always a little room, but, you know, we've just seen a lot, you know, the same plant getting three different test results on a huge margin. It's, you know, that's why you really got to deal with the right labs like that's really the, the iso standard i believe allows plus minus 20 percent but you guys have to realize it's not what you think in your mind of plus minus 20 percent so um it's uh there, there's a little math behind it but the um you know i think most of our cannabinoids are plus minus four percent and i think they allow plus minus i believe it was 15 or 20 for the new usda regs so people want that margin of error to, you know, if it's 0 0.34, 0 0.33, that might pass with margin of error. Right. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. If we see any more testing questions come in, we'll be for sure to ask them. But I think we've got a lot covered on that. I wanted to bounce back over to uh, Leah and talk about some of the events coming up, you know, because now that we've talked on here and we're going to have consistent uh, content coming out from, you know, the Farm Lab Forum, What's the next step on other events to meet different people or to get more experience? I know Expo South got postponed in Houston um, until August 28th, 29th. What other Texas events, you know, should people really have on their radar right now? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Lucky Leaf. I think they're shooting for also a mid-July, so we don't quite know. It's a little bit of a smaller show than CBD Expo, so we'll see what happens there. But there's some pretty cool virtual events coming up. I think probably the NOCO one oh, yeah. I'm most excited about. There's Oregon Hemp Convention by Kush.com, which for whatever reason are on the same days. So I guess we'll kind of split and see what's up with that. And then the uh, Hemp Industry Daily uh, is is going to be, I believe it's, uh, it's the end of July. I forget the exact dates, but I'm excited about that one. That's the one that was supposed to be in New Orleans at the beginning of June. Uh, I would think like last week. And it's one of my favorite shows. It's done by the same people that do MJ BizCon. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of awesome virtual events all over going on. So I think you can just kind of follow your favorite people. Greenlight events, always a good place to follow. And, yeah. and then you'll see what's going out there. I think this is a fantastic opportunity to connect with the industry because where else would like I get to be on a panel here with Eloise and Greg and Bo, you know, we'd all have to drive somewhere and be in the right. same place. So it's, it's awesome. I can sit in my car at the beach and, you know, <laughs> you guys can be in your, your offices and here we are doing this presentation. So use the opportunity. I've, I've been able to connect with a lot of great industry leaders from across the country in this time period um, and got super pumped up on a presentation you did on LinkedIn and went in and I think sniped some people is what you call it, you know, went in and found some really fantastic connections. So of course, it's hard on all of us, the live events not being around, but it's a great opportunity to make it work. Um, I did kind of have a question for, for Greg and Bo, if I could. I was wondering kind of like what is maybe the, the 
number one issue that you guys see with labs you know is it is it heavy metals lead pesticides maybe cannabinoids being off um what's kind of like a just one of the biggest things i guess that you guys see as an issue in in your final product testing yeah i mean a lot of it comes down to um label claims i think that's off a lot of people getting the dosages correct and their products and um you know it's tricky there's um there's a lot of science behind it it's not just adding a plus b you know and mixing it together so getting the consistent dosing and quality product and a lot of the guys we're working with are getting into that you know uh, cgmp kind of manufacturing protocols where um they test every batch you know that comes off the line because they need a consistent accurate product that works and that's the products that are going to stick around um, so I think that's a big one. And then, um, pesticides and heavy metals. I mean, those again are the culprits that come up They're in the soil, they're in water, they're sprayed foliar, they come from overspray from other farms. Um, so that, you know, uh, you know, that's probably, probably the three most common. And then, as I said, we're opening, um, we're really opening up our microbial department and, we're gonna, we have new technologies, we're looking at new platforms so we can look at plant disease and funguses and you know, help farmers troubleshoot. Um, so we're just really trying to provide all, all the possible solutions we can to farmers, um, you know, and from that aspect. But you know, also for you know, food products, we have you know, all the you know, popular foodborne illnesses that are important and you know, aspergillus and E. coli and staph. And so um, we're, we're able to handle all of that the lab and so it just really depends on the product it's it's getting really interesting i promised uh eloise we wouldn't keep her past two so i know she's about to have to bounce out do you have anything you'd want to say before you uh bounce out of here eloise oh dalton i'm so grateful thank you for allowing me to participate today and greg lee and Bo. i it's been great thank you so much for having me and um I warm <laughs> I do have to bounce. So thank you. And, and you all take care. Please. Thanks, Eloise. Good okay. to see you, girl. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Um, if I could touch on on that, the question she had, though, too. Um, it, you know, the biggest challenge is, is the farmers having an idea of what their end use of their product will be. Um, the labs, you know, we can test for anything you want. But if you don't know the end uh, use of your product or, or haven't targeted a certain industry, then you could be wasting money on testing, right? Like if it's for fiber, then it's not super critical to, to monitor your heavy uh, metals. Um, but that doesn't oh, mean you shouldn't, right? Um, and so it's really about the farmers, you know, like I said before, you know, staying in their wheelhouse, identifying where they can service um, an industry. And then, you know, structuring a hemp testing plan that serves their needs best. Um, and that's, that's really the biggest key. Um, you know, we can test for anything. That's, that's the easy part for us. It's really just we want to know, and this is where feedback from farmers and digging into the conversations. A lot of the times we do farm tours and we'll just spend the day with the guys and try and figure out exactly where they're headed with things. Um, and that lets us build out a system, you know, that's more cost effective for them, um, but and, and really targets their end use product. And on that note, do you guys have a lot of clients then that are 
fully vertically integrated where they're growing all the way to retailing or what's kind of your mix on that coming from outside of the state? You know, I think that's interesting. Um, it's, it's, it depends what market. I mean, we have THC market and CBD, but the CBD hemp market, it seems it's a little bit segregated. I mean, the farmers are doing the farming, there's extractors, there's a few big operations that have extraction on site. Um, both probably have a lot of good insight there. He travels quite a bit farm to farm. So, so what's interesting, um, I can definitely speak on that. What's interesting is, um, you know, in cannabis, because it was state by state and very small um, populations um, being serviced versus whereas hemp and CBD is such a large, um, you know, multinational product, um, we're seeing more segmentation, as like Greg said, um, where, you know, scalability wise, it's the farmers are farming, the dryers are drying, the processors are processing. And, and people are getting more specialized in the large scale activities um, versus a lot of vertical integration. Um, you know, it's really tough to, and, and speaking from labs especially, um, what's very unique is we are actually five different labs in one lab. Um, and, and where people don't realize it's like, you know, microbial, like there's microbial labs and that's what they do. And then there's, you know, potency labs and that's what they do in normal ag business, whereas, you know, in cannabis and hemp, we have had to be all of those labs in one. Um, and a lot of people don't realize just how, like we have five PhD chemists doing all of these things. Um, we, we're probably the only segment of the hemp industry that will have um, everything under one roof moving forward. Um, you'll see more specialists. Um, you're gonna see more uh, just, you know, siloed off, industry segments um, rather than um, a lot of vertical integration. And one thing I want to say, a hot trend that I'm seeing right now in the labs is boutique cannabinoids. And we're seeing Delta 8s and CVLs and um, CBGs and CBNs and, you know, all, all kinds of cool stuff coming out. So our lab, uh, I think we're going to be doing at least 10, 11 cannabinoids um, in Texas there. So they're and have all the latest um, ones. Some some of them like, uh, oh, what's the CB10 or whatever. The, uh, there's one of them that's you can't even get. You have to have um, narcotics license and approval. But um, it's interesting to see what some of these extractors are doing right now. And um, it's exciting kind of be in the forefront of that. But that's a huge trend we're seeing across the board, all these boutique cannabinoids. We had a... We had a pretty interesting question come on uh, Facebook. Um, out of the states that you guys have seen so far, what state do you think Texas is kind of mirroring the most? If so, or is it completely on an island of its own? Are there any other states that kind of are rolling out similar to how Texas has? I think, you know, what Bo kind of nailed it, you know, I think that it's just, it's going to be massive out of Texas, just the sheer, you know, um, area and size and, you know, the, the farming background and, um, you know, I think from what I saw, we saw a list recently of farmers. I mean, I think it's surpassed California now, um, you know, Oregon and Colorado, you know, they're producing the most hemp that I've seen, you know, on reports right now. Um, but if you look at the sheer size of the state, I mean, I think Texas is going to be just a mega, mega producer powerhouse, like Bo said. Pretty exciting stuff. 
I mean, honestly, I mean, following, uh, you know, Oregon, Colorado, you know, we all really have got a chance to sit back and see what other states have done right, done wrong, and uh, how to make sure we get it right this next legislative session. You know, with Texas, we only have this chance every other year for just a few months. And so it's really important that we know what we're advocating for. You know, we have a smokable manufacturing ban that we're going to have to deal with. You know, you still have uh, people trying to ban smokable hemp flour, which, you know, isn't isn't going to stand, in my opinion. But we'll see. I, I think something we need to take a look at, and this goes against the farmers first, you know, that Sid's been talking about. And I should have blasted Eloise while she was on here, but I've already spoke with her about it, is the, the fees. Um, you know, the transportation, the manifest fees, you know, for the farmer to do monitoring and, you know, anything really, you know, at all, it's a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's going to be, it's difficult, you know, on the farmers, especially when they're trying to stay compliant, follow the rules and regulations and, and monitor their crop and make sure that they don't lose their entire crop. Right. They're making it difficult financially for them to do that they have to pay for the testing and now there's a fee every time you move something off a of property so um what i think there's better ways to get fees i think there could be more creative better ways to for revenues you know and you know taxing and other other things that might make more sense than hitting the farmer right and it just goes right. back to farmer first if they don't succeed we won't have green light, farm labs, hemp tours. We won't be able to profit from this amazing industry. And we really need the farmers to do well now. And I just, I think we need to be cautious of, you know, hitting them now for those fees. Um, you know, one thing that we've also done is um, I brought in uh, for a consult for Eloise to really to understand what steps Oregon has taken. I brought in uh, my attorney up here in Oregon. Her name is Courtney Moran, and she's actually uh, fought for hemp for the last 10 years, even on uh, a, to the federal level. Um, she's involved in the banking program as well to try and get uh, money freed up for farmers um, and where they're not you know, violating like FISA loans or things like that. Um, and, and really part of that is you know, laying out a, a short-term and a long-term plan is uh, and she stepped in to help Eloise have an understanding and, and and part of that is is to counteract things like Greg talked about you know these expensive transfer fees which you know it's silly if you have a small business say someone is an indoor grower and they're going to send five pounds and it costs them a hundred bucks you know or it could be a truckload of you know fiber that costs a hundred bucks they they don't match the same value chain and so i think that you know taking a deeper look at that as you move forward part of it is laying out proper legislation right. that uh that you know uh, we had brought in a private consultant to help eloise try and identify the things that are going to work i mean it's really it really is interesting and the last legislative session was my first one but there's a lot of different interest groups there's people you never heard about there's the paid lobbyists, there's the unpaid lobbyists, there's the liberty lovers like myself just trying to mix it up down there. And, you know, last legislative session, it, it got done. But this next one is really where we need to tie it up. And there's a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of different folks, you know, that are going to have a say here. But I think we're in a lot better shape to at least have a conversation. It's not, it's not so much of any, you know, se secret room, secret meetings. It's more, these are the stakeholders, the infrastructures here. You have a license with the text Department of Agriculture. You know, people need to know what's going on. So I'm really hopeful. I'm really hopeful this can be an economic generator and, 
you know, the farmers can actually have something, you know, to look forward to. Because when you look into the, in the history and the economic of what these farmers are going through, you're right. They don't need to be taxed an extra for a transportation manifest. Like that's not really, you know, appropriate to get our industry where it needs to be. You know, people like. I was going to say also, I recommend um, kind of similar to what happened in Waco, where they had a meeting where everyone got to speak about their concerns on the regulations at the time. But there's another event. And, you know, there is, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people trying to just get in for the wrong and the right reasons. And I think the message is clouded by some of the people getting in for the wrong reasons and what should be done and advice. And I, I advise that they take two to three industry experts from farmer, manufacturer, testing laboratory, attorney, just two to three. And the, and the requirement is they have a minimum of five years experience, not in the state, and if it's in other states, wherever it might be. Um, and then also have some sort of, you know, Texas um, um, background or, you know, um, you know, being local of some, some sort of degree. Having those that criteria, I think you're going to find you'll find pioneer experts that have been there, done that, and can put some really just non-emotional content down to you know the, the regulations that have already been there to make sure this industry succeeds in Texas. So, I like that. I like that. Yeah, some people it's simple and it can be done quickly, and we don't need it clouded with all the interest groups. And that's that was my voice. Some, so, some folks would, would be upset, oh, if my voice isn't heard, I've only been doing this two years, three years. This is a forever student. Everyone's a student here. And dealing with the grassroots and, and having an honor to deal with the grassroots, you want to deal with industry professionals. You want to deal with somebody that has five or six years of experience dealing with this in different markets. Because people, there's a lot of advice out here, but it's not all good advice. You know, at least folks that have been doing this for a few years have some substance behind what they're saying. And, and by all means, there should be other panels where all voices get heard, but there should also be this expert panel that's weighed in the in the advice that's given is weighed to you know everyone else's opinion. And you know it's take it takes its weight. But I think there needs to be an, an expert voice as well as an industry voice and the special interest voice and the farmer. I think there there needs to be that expert voice. Right. Everybody's not going to get exactly what they want. You know, is this where we, we got to build it together out here? So we're, we've gotten to the point of, uh, you know, the final Q&A. We've been, we've been looking at Facebook, a lot of different feeds, a lot of good things going on. Does everybody want to give, you know, maybe a two or three minute wrap up of what to expect, maybe where to reach you? You know, I know we're giving the Farm Labs another shout out. I'm excited for these tours. You know, maybe we can cook up a hemp tour at Farm Labs. I don't know when we can get you back. Uh, in Dallas, Leah, but you know, I know Houston to Austin to Dallas is a kind of interesting deal. You got, you guys want to do that? Yeah, everyone's welcome. Yeah, we're Thanks down. <laughs> so, Greg, where can uh, where can everybody reach you, or just contact Dallas uh, Farm Labs Direct, or if anybody has, I saw people wondering where you know with questions. Um, do you want us to give your email out at the end, or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, you can go to our website um, and, you know, the best thing is to set up an account. Um, it's texas.farmlabs.com. And from there, you can get on our news, uh, newsletter. You'll get on our, um, you know, our, our email chains of, you know, good information that's coming out. So that's a good place to start. And I don't know. Let's see if I still have it on my slide here. I could uh, if I share the screen. I could put that yeah. up really quick. 
Yeah, it's texas.farmlabs.com. And then the email is info at texas.farmlabs.com. And our phone number is 214-903-4405. So those are all great ways to get a hold of us. There was one question that came in. I'm interested. I don't have a stake in this currently, but I've seen a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs respond in different ways. And I, I appreciate it in general, but I've seen a lot of cannabis and hemp companies shift to PPE, hand sanitizer, things like this, maybe cannabinoid infused. Is there any specific overlays of safety and hemp that you recognize? Maybe like a CBD, hand sanitizer or topical. Is there anything you guys have seen at a higher level to where the PPE and hemp industry really do collide in a, in a, in a reasonable, logical way? Not yet. That's great. I mean, they should have hemp masks and I mean, that, that makes, makes sense, but I have not, I think I've seen a few hand sanitizers, you know, um, infused, but no, I have not. Anyone else? There are some, there's some masks coming out of New Zealand right now. Um, that's pretty exciting product. Their, their production levels are very low, but they are, um, they're passing the N95 rating and everything which okay. is just awesome news um, for them to scale up is going to be uh, a real challenge um, given that they're pretty far mm -hmm. removed. Um, but it's really cool to see. I know that, you know, CBD in a hand sanitizer is, you know, it's a little silly in the end. Um, I think you're going to be counter effect, you know, counterbalancing any of the positive effects. Um uh, it, it, I mean, essentially will help it absorb into your skin in a way. And so, but I don't think that the dosage that you're going to get from that is going to be appropriate to actually do some real good in your health. There, there was also wild claims that CBD was helping with COVID. Um, I'm sure you guys saw that. So maybe, maybe not. I mean, I shouldn't say wild, um, but uh you know, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I saw, I saw the FDA some pretty stern things with uh, Corona and uh, cannabinoid. I saw a few of those. It's interesting. I mean, and I, mean I was going to say that if it helps your health and overall well-being, then, you know, it can help your, your, your body, your system fight yeah. disease and things. So very well could be helpful to many, many people. Relaxation and, you know, it's been difficult for mentally, physically for a lot of people. Right. Everybody's yeah. bodies are different. You know, my, my grandma swears uh, saltine crackers and Coke cure headaches. And uh, that's <laughs> that's works for her, you know, but we're dealing with a little bit different things here. I appreciate you touching on that because I've seen a lot, you know, of hemp companies shifting focus. I think it makes sense on the industrial side, but, you know, I guess the, the, the time will tell there. Clinical trials, you know, antibodies, there's a lot of work to be done on that. Um, you know, for us to even find a you know, a cure at this point where it's going to take time, but, um, who knows? Yeah. You know, if it helps your overall health, then it could be beneficial for sure. That's, that's there be are three studies out now about uh, cannabis with uh, versus COVID essentially the latest one came out of university of Miami. So it'll be interesting to see. It looks like fairly conclusively that it does help you know the inflammation side uh, out of the Canadian study but that being said these studies came out like a couple of weeks ago when people were starting to make these claims from day one so wait <laughs> for the research you know oh. come on guys just wait until there's a peer-reviewed white paper 
so people don't call bullshit. Anecdotal evidence. You know, as a hardcore activist, that's what we got to fight. You know, if you go back on my Facebook three years ago, I'm screaming, this is real, this is right. But as you get more educated and well-crafted, you've got to cite real resources. You've got to cite real scientists with people putting their licenses on the line, you know, because it's, it's a fact or fiction type deal. And so any aspiring executives out there that listen to this or see it, you know, you've got to associate yourself with these institutions, understand what it is to get something cited, you know, get published yourself uh, if you can, because um, everybody has an opinion out here and, you know, everybody has their own story that these things can help with. Uh, cancer and things have, have like this have touched so many people, you know, uh, CBD, cannabinoids help with the GI tract. You know, we can say that, but then citing the real research uh, by some real institutions just makes it, it just makes a lot more sense for everybody. You'll have less conversations about, is this BMW going to get me high? When it starts with this is from John Hopkins, you know, like you're going to have a lot. Uh, it depends what's in the glove box of the BMW. Okay. <laughs> that is true. That's the, Oh, we're going to clip that one for sure. Uh, man, that's, that's great. I've really enjoyed talking with, with you guys. We're running out of time here at the end. Bo, is there, is there a few minutes you could give, you know, to this Texas audience that, you know, in anything inside in, inside information that you might want to share? Um, I, you know, I think it's, it really boils down to, you know, as you move forward, doing your research, having like, uh, you know, the solid business plan, like was mentioned before, that's so critical to your survival, um, as you move forward in an, in an uncharted, um, industry at this point, um, you know, having scalability always on your mind is so critical. Um, because today's steps are tomorrow's leaps and, and it's really important to remember that, um, you know, balancing your budget, keeping track of all your growth patterns, gathering the data that you're going to need, because that data is going to decide how you step into the future. And so, um, it's, you know, less about, I mean, farming is, is critical, um, obviously, but it's, it's less about, you know, the tractor that's pulling it, uh, the implements as it is. How long did that tractor take? How many rows did it do a day? What are the, you know, it's really about the data and that's going to allow you to be able to, as margins, you know, strength, because this commoditizes, your data is going to tell you whether you're in a profitable position or not, um, or where you can make changes to become more profitable. And so that's kind of the main focus that I'd like to, to impart onto people is to really understand um, the, the nuts and bolts of your business um, and have a solid business plan. That's some wise words out there. And it's okay if you're still learning, you know, it's okay to go ask questions. I remember when I first started, you know, we were making some great, great hemp wine. Then it was mobile extraction. Then it was production equipment. It's okay to evolve, you know, but you've really got to surround yourself with folks that actually know what they're talking about because it's still early to a point. But just from my perspective, again, from the grassroots is this thing starting to take off. So friends or family that have said, oh, I want to do this one day or I want to get involved. You know, now is really the time to start evaluating it because, you know, this um, this SpaceX sized rocket that's the Texas hemp industry is about to go. You know, so it's it's all systems go for us. Uh, you got anything in closing, Leah? I know you you cover so great what's going on in the retail space and talking about what's banned, what's not. Anytime any retailers even ask me anything, I just immediately send them your way. So is there anything that, uh, you know, you would like to, to share uh, in closing? 
Um, you know, I think I'm just really excited again to see you guys come into the state and bring that experience. I think it's going to be so valuable here for everyone in the industry. Um, you can definitely catch us on Facebook Live every Thursday, 1 to 2 p.m. Central Time and see all of our playbacks there on Official Hemp Tours uh, Facebook page backslash live. We did a good one a couple weeks ago with Dalton. It was a lot of fun. So uh, go check that out. And um, just everybody have. You're so modest. You don't want to plug it. Tell us what you're doing with your verified brand. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I I touched on it just a little bit in the presentation, but uh, just in an effort really to streamline things with ourselves in our own time and the, the verified retailers and brands we were working with, we in March created our partner dashboard and released that in beta to a verified brand. So how do you become a verified brand? It's pretty simple. You just go to higheredhemptours.com. You click on become a partner. You're going to fill out an application. It is going to ask for your insurance, your COAs, and if you have all natural ingredients or not. And, you know, those are deal breakers for us. Like if you don't have your reseller certificate and your insurance and COAs, then you cannot be hemp tours verified, which means you cannot be promoted by us. So we're trying to keep the bar as high as we possibly can without choosing favorites. You know, we get a lot of brands that ask us to work on commission. We're not going to do that either because we're going to be the unbiased voice here. So you can get verified uh, by, you know, doing that application and then subscribing to the program, which basically entails us keeping an eye to make sure that your products and COAs are up to date. Uh, And then you can subscribe at higher levels to get employee training and a wide variety of other services, and then even on to direct consulting services. So if you're a retailer or brand or ancillary service and you're interested in Texas, we believe that we can provide a huge value for you. So go sign up and become a partner. We, we want more. We, we want to make those connections uh, it's, for the industry. It's so important. And it's helping people understand that, hey, it's, it's not any beef. You're not mad at these people or these companies. But, hey, it's a, it's a learning curve. It's quality control, you know, from the brands, the people that we work with. And having that bar of this is what you need to do to get in compliance. You know, they'd rather hear it from your friendly hemp tour driver than they would, you know, the Texas Department of Agriculture declining their license you know, actually people in the trenches out here got a producer. That's it. We want, you know, we're not here to scold anybody. We're just here to set a really high bar so that all the other people that work with us know that anyone else coming in is at the same level and that the consumers that love our tours and love the virtual tours also know that if you're getting shouted out on our social media, that you have met this we Clean. feel like fairly baseline level right. of what a professional hemp company should yeah. be. Yeah, you're not pulling credit checks on people. You're just making sure the hemp they have isn't isn't poisoning people. You know, like it's yeah. not it's not that serious. And I really appreciate all the panelists and and all the time. Uh, thank you, Greg and Bo, for participating yeah. in the inaugural Farm Lab Forum. Uh, after you know we go through this, I already got some analytics from one of our producers. I think we did pretty well on Facebook today. So we'll talk, and if you out, if you have questions or you want to participate in this, please email us, contact us. We'll have all the panelist information uh, publicly available after that. But I appreciate you guys. You know, this is uh, it's going to be fun. You know, documenting this journey, documenting this hustle, as our boy Gary Vaynerchuk says, and uh, let's go make it happen. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Leah. Thanks, Bo. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Really appreciate it.
Thanks to everyone who's uh, watching out there. Appreciate yeah. it. We had a we had a few hater problems, but you know what? The haters are going to be there. We're going to learn from it. The haters, there gets really? to a point. So we're having access to legitimate industry professionals. Is that that's not a right? That's a privilege. Yeah. I know that, that so. happens. Yeah. Hey, Dalton, make sure that. make sure you respond to all those questions on on that thread, Dalton. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday. Farm Lab Forum Fridays. You know, we're gonna have to go. We're going somewhere else, not dealing with the haters right now. That's for certain. So uh, yeah, I really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for everybody okay. for tuning in. Bye guys. Have a great day. Bye.